When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar, along with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. And Sage, the Minnesota Vikings are facing their toughest task as an offense going up against the Chicago Bears. Um, it, it feels very much like the 85 Bears have returned. Uh, that's not, We don't want to be that hyperbolic. But, I mean, this is a stacked defense with one of the best NFL players out there in Khalil Mack against a Vikings offense that Pro Football Focus uh, put out an article today ranking 29th in the NFL. Let's start there with this matchup. How are the Vikings going to block Khalil Mack? Well, that's a really good question. You know, sometimes the best way to block a guy like Mack, and, and, you know, people don't talk about it enough, but Mack's, you know, uh, he's a high-motor guy. I mean, he's extremely talented, but he has a motor on him that does not stop. And sometimes the best way to block those guys is to actually go right at them and just double team the crap out of them and try to sort of wear him down rather than running away from him. And you think, you know, the natural thought would be, Hey, you want to run away from a really good defender sometimes. Cause he, but his, the way he, you know, it, it, with, with him against the run uh, and the way you can, you know, uh, you know, with the way he can rush the passer, uh, he gets penetration. He's a physical guy. So when you run right at him, you get those double teams on him more. And uh, he's almost a little bit more blockable. So, you know, that's a way to try to slow him down. Uh, you know, he's such a good player. I'd be uh, in position to crack on him a lot. You know, sometimes teams do these you know tight splits uh, and, you know, makes it look like you're going to crack on him. And even if you're a receiver going out on a route, try to limit his, uh, you know, limit his pass. So there's different things you can do offensively uh, to try to, uh, you know, help out with a premier player like this. And he's a real problem. This Bears defense is this whole roster is completely different than it was. This is a different team. This is a different Bears team than we've seen in years. Uh, I study their offense every single week. Uh, this is, I think, other than maybe the Rams, this is probably the Vikings' best matchup of the year uh, as far as all the things the Bears are doing right now. They're playing really good football. So the way that I'm looking at this is that the winner of this game, and I, and I know that this is just sort of the nature of the league and it's tough to tell with, with one game, but the winner of this game, A, has a path to winning the NFC North, but also I think proves itself because wh- when I look at the wins 
that the Chicago Bears have, there aren't many against tough opponents. And you could say the same thing for the Vikings. And when it comes to this defense for the Bears, it's the same sort of deal. Like, they've really held down some of the worst offenses in the league, and they gave up 38 points to the New England Patriots. So are they really that good? From from you having watched them, what else, aside from Khalil Mack, do they do on the defensive side that is going to give the Vikings trouble? Well, they usually, for the most part, they keep teams out of the end zone. They do a good job once they other teams get to the red zone of letting the field goals. And they, they've had, you know, have been a pretty good turnover team so far this year. They've had some games. They've had three or four turnovers. Uh, you know, last week, uh, they just straight dominated Detroit. They had a couple of turnovers early in the game. Same with Buffalo. So, you know, some of these games have been over by halftime uh, with the way the defense and offenses have played together. So, yeah, I mean, against the good offenses, teams have put up, you know, some big numbers against them. But, you know, all in all, uh, they, they just played really solid football this year, and, and their offense scores touchdowns a lot of times off of the turnovers. So I, I've got some stats for you with Kirk Cousins, because I wrote an article called Should Kirk Cousins Be More Aggressive? That uh, he is one of the quarterbacks who throws the shortest air yards per completion, just as far as how often he's throwing it deep down the field, things like that. But when the Vikings do throw it down the field, he's had a lot of success. Um, not, but he hasn't really thrown into coverage very often either it's not just that there are short passes it's that you know, the contested catches we just haven't really seen them from Diggs and Thielen because he doesn't throw their way if they're covered uh, I'm curious what you think of that of just the fact that they've relied so much on short passes and whether there are ways to get Cousins to be a little more aggressive when his guys are covered and get some of those intermediate passes going. It's been a lot of either bomb or just like really quick, but we haven't seen a lot of those like 12 to 14 yard throws. Well, and they, listen, they, yeah, their, their yards per uh, catch is, is pretty down. I was looking at that staff the other day. Their top couple guys are what, about 12 yards a catch, 13 yards a catch. There's nobody who's, it always seems like a team has somebody who's averaging 17, 18, you know, 19 yards a catch. I think the Rams have at least two guys over. Uh, 16 or 17 yards a catch. So they're 28th uh, they uh, in yards per completion. There you go. So they don't throw the deep ball deep very much. Now, I, as I'm looking back, I'm trying to imagine throughout the year how many you know post routes have we thrown, or how many routes have we thrown where guys you know became wide open, right? Uh, when you watch really good coordinators, you find guys who are basically wide open. You saw it in that Rams game uh, when they got the matchup on that wheel route to Cooper Cup. And there's just no way Bar could keep up with him. And, and, you know, really good offensive coaching, especially with that, that run, that play action, and then some sort of deep throw combination where you, you, you pick the right coverage for the right play. Uh, and you take advantage of a defense's weaknesses. We haven't seen those, you know, this year. I'm not sure if they're just not that creative to come up with those plays based off of how defenses, you know, defend against them with their run gaps and stuff. But, you know, the best offenses in the league, you see, you know, opportunities, uh, you know, as a deep post by a Stefan Diggs or, or, you know, one of the faster guys in that team that we're going to get that matchup or even a deep post one on one with the safety. You know, one thing Kyle Shanahan used to talk about all the time was if we can double move a safety, that's way better than double moving a corner because the safeties don't, you know, play the ball in the air usually quite as well. They get their back turned. Uh, they get their feet tangled around a little bit. Uh, they just don't play the ball as well as corners do. So, you know, we don't seem to do these big double moves on safeties and get those, you know, deep one-on-one matchups where I, I think Cousins would love to throw that ball. I think he'd be a, you know, very good deep ball thrower. He's got a you know, really strong arm. He's pretty accurate, I think. So uh, here's another stat for you. Uh, Stephon Diggs, in terms of his targets, the percentage of his targets that go over 10 yards, 
that's dropped by about 10%. It was 44% last year. It's only 35% now. And I, I think that speaks to it. I mean, he's excellent with that sort of thing, with the double moves and post routes and, and deep dig routes and things like that. And to not have him do it as much, I, I think, might hurt their offense, especially when it comes to converting on, on things like third and long, where they've really struggled. I, every team struggles, but, I mean, this team has been particularly poor when they get to uh, third and long. So I guess I'm curious to see if this changes or if it how much the offensive line plays a role in this. I, I mean, I, I think that that has to be part of it, that it's not easy to run you know, deep double moves against the safety when you just don't have time to throw. And this is the thing I go back and forth on, Sage, is like, I, I don't believe that the Vikings' offensive line is very good, but I don't think they're made any better by their quarterback either, if that makes sense. So it could be kind of a combination of things that is explains why they haven't hit on more of these intermediate throws. Yeah, and, you know, let's look at the differences between, you know, last year and, and this year. You know, there's a different quarterback, all right? You know, much of the O-line is the same. Uh, the receiving core, much of it is the same, yet we're throwing the ball. Although, and our quarterback is different, but he also has a stronger arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it came from uh, different teams of, you know, throwing the ball pretty good down the field. Uh, you know, that's not Case Keenum's strength. That's not one of the, you know, he wasn't a guy who had a big arm. So, you know, and the other difference, obviously, is the offensive coordinator and John D. Filippo. So obviously, there's whether it's the philosophy of his or uh, they're sort of incapable of finding ways to push the ball down the field. But yeah, this team could use some more big plays. And I, you know, Stephon Diggs is a fantastic route runner, and on double moves, the way he can break and be in and out of his cuts, cuts, and then roll after that, uh, not a lot of receivers can do that. So I think he'd be a great guy to really, you know, be more of a deep threat receiver. Uh, he's fast. Uh, he's also quick. And I, just, I, I think they're just not, it's not a part of their offense for whatever reason. Yeah. And for an outside receiver to only average 10.1 yards a catch is a little bit unusual. I mean, last year he averaged more than that. Uh, that's almost like what a slot receiver would generally average because they're getting bubble screens and things like that. Um, when it comes to Delvin Cook being back at full strength, uh, I think the first question is how many snaps he's going to play. But if he's 100%, then it's almost all of them, I think, just because uh, he's so much more multi-talented than Latavius Murray is. What, what do you think that that does for their offense if he's back for like 50 snaps? Yeah, I, well, I don't know. I, th- I think it's important to have them both in. You know, I think they're both better when they're fresh. Uh, you know, it seems like to me Latavius breaks off a nice run just about every game. It seems like he has a 20 or 30 yarder and, and he's good on third down. He catches the ball well. He doesn't really have that, that big playability. You're not going to see him break one for 60 or 70 like we did with Cook, uh, last week. But I think with these two guys in, and, and Cook's the, you know, he's the big play guy. He's the home run hitter. Uh, and, and, but you don't want to wear those guys down either, you know. Uh, you want those guys fresh at the end of a, of a football game and have their best five carries of the game, the last five carries. And and uh, I think mixing these guys up, both of them, and even Mike Boone's a good runner too. I think there's, you know, they can be, you know, swapping these backs, uh, you know, in and out a plenty. I wouldn't mind seeing them uh, doing a little, with the, a little bit what the Bears do, and they'll have, you know, two running backs in the game and and having having uh, Dalvin Cook do some of the stuff that Tariq Cohen does, yeah, uh, whether it's jet sweep type stuff or. Uh, or even, you know, how, how does he run routes? I'd like to see him run a few more routes, get him in space, you know, get that big playability uh, in space. I'd like to think uh, you know, that would be valuable rather than always having him in the backfield. 
So I was thinking about this after we talked the other day, and I know we really broke down Trubisky, but I, I went back and watched some more and wrote an article about uh, blitzes, especially looking at the ones that other teams used against Trubisky on third down. W- why do you think that the zone blitzes and, and zone dog rushes are, are still so effective? And, and what's, what is so challenging about those for young quarterbacks? Because it seems like Zimmer just finds a lot of different ways to harass young quarterbacks with those. Well, I'd love to do like a video cast sometimes with you and like go through all the plays where they do the double A gap stuff and how that's confusing. You know, you have Harrison Smith on one side and you know, some sort of nickel Sam or whatever nickel will on the other side. Uh, and they're both in threatening positions off the edge and you have the two A gap guys and then what teams do and how they bring certain players and how other players are going to trap uh, and still play cover two behind it. Uh, still, you know, sometimes play man to man behind it or cover three or whatever. Uh, the hard part is you, you look at the guys who are coming, but you don't always look at the guys who are leaving. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you sort of, as you drop back, you check, okay, who actually came at the snap? Am I good? Am I not good? Um, and sometimes you think you're good and you're not, uh, or somebody else screws up, uh, because they are confused and they break a lot of different rules that, that of running backs. And, but you don't see those, you know, D linemen dropping out, linebackers crisscross and pass to go trap. You don't always see those guys. And, uh, as I said, it's, it's hard to, to see everything and see how that puzzle unfolds when you're just dropping back and you know, you've, you've only seen it so many times. Once you've played in the league for a long time, you've just, you've seen a lot of those blitzes multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're just recognition of them and not, and you know, what to do and uh, you gotta get rid of the ball and, but, or, or somebody's gonna be trapping. So you gotta be worried for that guy or you can throw it behind their ear or something like that, which you, you know, you see people do. That's a Favre is great. Favre saw the trap coming and then he like pump fake. So the linebacker would overrun, you know, a slant or something like that. Then he could throw it behind his ear. Uh, he'd, he'd do things like that, which is, which is incredible. So, uh, yeah, young guys just don't have enough reps. And, and uh, you know, the more you see it, the better you get at it usually. Well, first of all, I think that that would be awesome if we can uh, figure out how technologically to connect for something like that. That, that would bring a lot to people for, uh, for a film session. So let's do that. Um, so... When, when we're talking about the NFC North here and just like what the, the battle that's going on and, and where Green Bay stands, um, what's what's your take on, on how this could turn out, I guess? Because I don't feel like I have a great understanding of who either of these teams are with Chicago and, and Minnesota and, and even Green Bay to some extent that, you know, last week they come out and they run the ball all over Miami and Miami's not good, but they're five and five. And Green Bay sort of makes a statement that they're not going away. What What is your take on how this could play out? You know, it's a good question. I, I do think if you look at the overall teams and how Green Bay's played this year, you know, the Vikings are playing much better football now than they were back then. And and they obviously had the, the tie game in Green Bay. Uh, and I, you know, I, I don't think Green Bay, they're not playing great football. You know, they, they just aren't. You know, they're actually running the ball. Uh, pretty well this year. They're in the middle of the league, run the ball. Obviously, they're always near the top league and, and throwing the ball. Uh, and you know, I don't know. They're, I just don't. Um, I don't see the overall talent on that football team to mm-hmm. be able to catch. I think what I think is going to be the Vikings and the Bears, uh, who I think have at this point the two best rosters, uh, you know, in the division. So you know, it, it's the, the the Packers go as Aaron Rodgers goes, and as those receivers goes, and and you know the old line and all that stuff, and. I just don't think with how much they expect him to do, uh, you know, that they will be, you know, a 10 win football team when it all, when it's all said at the end of the year. So I've, I've got some other things 
that are not necessarily related to this game that I wanted to run by you. And of course, journeyman quarterback of the week coming up. Um, but who do you think wins this game? I'm having a really tough time with it because <clears throat> I, I think that the Vikings are maybe a, a shade stronger and I trust Mike Zimmer against Mitch Trubisky, but it's on the road and I, I don't know. I mean, Chicago just has that great defense. I, I'm having trouble making a pick here. So again, I watch the Bears every week. I watch the Vikings every week. And from what I've seen so far, uh, I feel like Khalil Mack is going to make a play in this ball game. Mm. Uh, and it's going to be one of those games where it might come down to a play, a fourth quarter play. Trubisky has been really tough uh, with how he's played lately. He's played better and better and better as the season's gone on. He's had some bad games in between there, but for the most part, I mean, he's had games where he's throwing five touchdown passes, you know, and and a six touch, touchdown passes, I believe, in one game earlier in the year. And, and they've, even, you know, I said they've, they got a good football team. Uh, they got a really good football team. They are, I, I'm really interested to see how the Vikings decide to play defense on mm-hmm. this Bears team. And I think I was going to write about the athletic tomorrow is how, the, how would they match up with these Bears weapons from what I've seen so far in film study, uh, and those types of things. And, you know, will they play more zone defense? You know, so they're not getting beaten sort of one-on-one matchups with, you know, these smaller, faster receivers. And they can all, uh, you know, make make Mitchell Trubisky work them on, you know, 12-play drives, 14-play drives. You know, make them run the football for four and five yards and slowly, methodically, uh, you know, have Trubisky not make the mistake. Because it does seem like he makes a mistake once or twice a game usually, and you got to capitalize. And so, uh, yeah, I'm really – it's a it's going to be a very good football game. It's going to be probably one of the – probably feel like one of the cooler games the Vikings have had in a regular season – uh, I'm in a prime time game with this much on the line and, and, uh, it should be a lot of fun. So that's what kind of leads me to is I, I love that it's Sunday night football and I love that it's at soldier field. Did you have a favorite sporting venue when you played? I mean, was soldier field up there? Did you ever, you ever played soldier field? No, I did. I, I did not play in the, I wish I could have played the old soldier field. Yeah. I only played in the new one, didn't play in, in, uh, at Chicago, actually, until that 2009 year with Favre. We had that great Thursday, I think it was or a Sunday night game. I believe it was a Sunday night game. It may have been a Monday night game. Uh, we lost in overtime. He hit Sidney Rice in the corner of the end zone for an amazing, I think it was a two-point conversion or something like that. Uh, that was a great game, but it was the new stadium, and it was super cool. It was a neat place, and, mm-hmm. and but I always wanted to play in that old stadium. I grew up a Bears fan. My dad's from Chicago. Uh, you know, that was what we watched. That's what we listened to on the radio. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I, but I never got to play in that stadium. I was in a Grateful Dead concert though in that stadium <laughs> when I was a junior in high school. So that was the only time I was actually in the original, uh, a soldier field. What was your favorite place to go play, uh, as the quarterback, as the start, as a starter? Was there a favorite place that you started? Favorite place I started? No, I don't think I had any, trying to think of any, you know, I started in, in Cleveland, I think twice. I started in Oakland, the old Oakland Stadium. Started in uh, Baltimore, uh, down in Miami. I believe I started uh, a game or so. Obviously, the Texans. I mean, I, you know, I started uh, 10 games for the Texans. And so um, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Add Indy. That was a neat place to play. At Indies, it's a beautiful stadium. Yeah, yeah. I will say it about that. It's a beautiful stadium. They all, they all really are amazing. When you're sitting in your, you know, you're in your center at the 50 yard line, it is a really, really cool experience. And uh, Green Bay was super cool to be able to sort of even watch Favre, you know, in that game. Mm-hmm. That was my first ever playing experience was actually at Green Bay on a Monday night 
playing for the Dolphins. I got in there for three incompletions, and that was the end of that or something like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, the NFL stadiums are really, really – and I think they're getting cooler. They're getting you – know, the, the Viking stadium is amazing, and I wish I would have played in that stadium as well. My other question for you is uh, we got into this on our Purple Live show last night, and I, I want your opinion. Or if you care about this or not. I mean, maybe if you're wearing any NFL jersey, that that's awesome. But what I want to see is white on white for this game. And I know they won't do it. It'll be the purple pants and it'll be the white jerseys. But the old school way with the Soldier Field and the Bears and the Vikings, if they had the white pants and the white jerseys, I think would be awesome. Do you have an opinion on that? Or did you just not ever really care what jersey you were wearing? Um, no, if you can wear a cool jersey, I'm always about wearing a cool jersey that, you know, teams didn't do that very often back then, less than they do now, even. I think you were only allowed one, like, alternative jersey. And it wasn't even every year. I thought it was like every couple of years you could even do an alternative jersey. We played the Dallas Cowboys on a Thanksgiving game. I was with the Miami Dolphins and we wore, uh, what would be the equivalent of these 72 Dolphins jerseys. That was fantastic. Yeah. I was so psyched about that. I actually took the glasses off of our team priest's face, wore them down the tunnel, and wore them out because I wanted to look like Bob Greasy. Greasy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I gave them back to him on the sidelines. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was really cool to be, you know, wear those old school. I think usually the old school stuff looks looks the best. Uh, I think you know, I don't know. There's 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 a simplicity to it. Like I've never liked the Broncos New jerseys. Yeah. Never, not from Not-go the get go. Still don't. Just don't like them. I know they're trying to be sort of like aerodynamic or something. I'm, I haven't been into them. I've never liked the Texans jerseys. They're so lame and boring. Uh, you know, they, they, but, uh, but all whites, the all whites Texans are awesome. Yes. Back to the, yeah. yeah. I like the all whites. I like when Iowa State goes all whites. Uh, so, um, yeah, you know, but the old school jerseys are cool though. I always like the old school jerseys. And yeah. I think all whites would be very cool, especially versus the team that I'd be wearing. Well, Bears will be in what? They'll be in all blue. No, they'll be in blue and white pants, I would assume. Yeah, probably the blue and white pants. Um, you, you didn't have a great draw for jerseys until you got to New York. The Giants, uh, that's an amazing jersey. And that's what inspired me to think about this was that the Giants and 49ers, to me, is in all of the NFL the best team versus team jersey matchup. Giants in all white versus 49ers with their red tops. Now, do yourself a favor. Look up the old... Pittsburgh Steelers jerseys from back in like the 70s, then look up the Iowa jerseys. Iowa actually wears the old Pittsburgh jerseys, which I thought were actually are, are a cooler looking jersey back then than what Pittsburgh does now. They changed it just a little bit, I believe. I think I saw this the other day on Twitter. But uh, yeah, the Iowa, Iowa Hayden Fry actually copied the Pittsburgh Steelers sort of jersey colors. That's where the Hawkeye jerseys look so much like theirs. Huh. Well, yeah, I mean, any of the classics are going to match up well. I mean, if it's Dallas against Pittsburgh, like the old you know, 70s Super Bowl sort of matchups, those are good. Washington against Dallas. So you like Dallas the 49ers? I do, yeah. I really like it. Uh, now, looking back, looking back, how much did you not, looking back, how much did you not like the, how much did you like or not like the 49ers jerseys when I think they won the Steve Young Super Bowl and they were sort of more of a block. They had sort of a black in their number or something like that. I'm gonna have to look you know what I'm talking that. about? I'm going to have to check that. I'm going to have to look at that right now because I'm, I'm not remembering it well. All I remember is that San Diego didn't exactly put up a fight. Uh, no, that was oh, Junior Seattle. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It had like a shadow. 
had a shadow on it. No, yeah. I didn't like the shadow. Nope, I don't need that in my life. I need what they have, what they were wearing the other night with the stripes. The stripes, those are sweet. The stripes are awesome. And by the way, he's going to be a good. He's a good. He'll, he'll be a good backup quarterback. That kid. Who's that? I think that kid would be uh, um, Nick Mullins. I think yeah, he's the perfect situation. Yeah. That's that's why you wonder why I speak highly of the Kyle Shanahan offense and what these guys do because you can have a guy like Nick Mullins who you can tell doesn't have some big arm doesn't have some you know but just executes and does his best and tries to go through his footwork and has a place to throw the ball and be on time he's not asked to do too much and he can be effective quarterback he almost won his first two starts yeah he's pretty accurate too I mean he seemed like pretty he was, accurate, he was yeah. getting the ball out and it doesn't matter if you're throwing you know laser beams if if you got some timing and accuracy the um the Steve Youngs with no shadow with gold pants and the stripes on the jersey, those are those are elite. Those are the best. Those are elite. All right. Anyway. It's time. Anyway. It's, it's time. time. It's time for Journeyman Quarterback of the Week. Show some respect. Salute. I've traveled every road in this here land. It's time for Matthew and Sage to honor one of the NFL's great journeyman quarterbacks. And for this week, a team that is just legendary for its journeyman quarterbacks. And let me just give a quick uh, overview of the history of the journeyman quarterbacks, if I can here, just pull up the Bears. I mean, there are so many magnificent names, just players who led the team in passing, not even guys who just came on through. Eric Kramer, Cade McNown, who kind of kicked us off with this whole thing. Jim Miller, Cordell Stewart had a, a time there. Chad Hutchinson led them once. Brian Greasy. So the Greasies both get a shout out. Mike Tomzak, of course. Vince Evans would have been back in your day. Steve Walsh. So those are some of the great names. But one that you are familiar with, Shane Matthews, who started as a Chicago Bear, went eight and seven. A classic journeyman thing to do. He went eight and seven and 15 starts with 19 touchdowns and 18 interceptions. Again, a classic journeyman line. And a 75 quarterback rate. And tell me what you know about Shane Matthews. Well, here's the deal. Shane Matthews was a three-time SEC player of the year. Uh, this is this is off the top of my head from my tie. I played with him at the Washington Redskins in 2002. He was there. Danny Werfel was there. Uh, and Patrick Ramsey was just drafted in the first round. So I got to spend some time with Shane. Got to know him uh, you know, over the years. Uh, I believe he was a three-time SEC player of the year. Uh, never won a national championship. I think the Bears drafted him like the seventh round. Uh, and then, you know, but super likable guy, really smart, really understood football and, and, you know, how to attack coverages and how to beat blitzes. He was, you know, sort of one of those coaches on the field, wasn't overly talented, super skinny, like never lifted weights, (laughs) ever, never lifted weights. Same. Played golf. He was one of those quarterbacks and Coy Detmer was sort of the same way where those guys didn't really. It was back in the day where you were, they were just savvy enough and they could throw it. And, you know, you don't have to be really strong necessarily to throw a football well. Uh, you know, it's like a golfer. You don't have to be huge to, to hit a golf ball far. So, uh, though, you know, he, he played back in the day where he wasn't much of a lifter, but, uh, he had one heck of a career, bounced all over the place, played for the Bears, uh, a couple times, first stint and second stint. Yes. I was, I was watching, I was with him right after that in Washington 2002. Uh, and then he, you know, I know this. At the end of his career, he signed with the Dolphins. Uh, he literally hadn't touched a football in like a year. 
And he was like, walk, the most he'd been doing is like walking his dog and <laughs> like picked him up like mid season. Maybe it was the Bills. It might have been the Bills. Uh, maybe it was the Bills in 2000. I don't remember what it was. I, mean, I think it was the Dolphins. But well, yeah, you he are, like you are got, right about both. Got six games or something like that, and it was incredible. I saw. I was talking. I was like, "What have you been up to?" He's like, "Dude, I haven't done anything with football in a year," and uh, and here I am. You know, they just signed me because they needed somebody that knew the offense or something like that. You so know, it's incredible. He did uh, have a brief stint with Miami. Didn't play for them, but did get in a couple games for Buffalo in 2004, which uh, I remember. Now, the great thing, there's a couple great things here. Like you mentioned, a second stint, which is just like, check, check that box um, that he, the, the Bears brought him back. And he got into games four years in a row, at three with Chicago and one with Washington. And each year, four years in a row, threw exactly six interceptions <laughs> from 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002, six interceptions for each one of those games, which is which is sort of funny. And then I run across this in his Wikipedia that Matthews was chastised by then Gator head coach Urban Meyer for criticizing his coaching decisions on the air as a sports talk broadcaster in North Central Florida. Yes, I know he does some radio work down there, uh, down in Gainesville. He's got some kids and stuff. I, I'm friends with them, I think, on Facebook or something. And his, his son was a high school quarterback. Uh, you know, down there, he likes, he's a, he's a fisherman. He's an outdoorsman, uh, Mr. Matthews. And so, you know, the Shane Matthews band is what my friends always called him. <laughs> That's great. That was the, that was sort of his little nickname. But, uh, yeah, he had, he had quite the career. You know, it's interesting. He threw, he plays, started 22 games. I started 12. He threw 31 touchdowns to 24 interceptions and I threw 30 to 20. So I was, I threw a lot of touchdowns, a lot of interceptions. We sort of had a similar, uh, t- you know, type of career. Two through for about 4,700 yards. I threw for about 4,000. So it's impressive to only start 22 games and play for, you know, what is it? Six, seven teams here as you're looking at it. Seven teams or something. One, two, six teams. Three, four, five, six, seven teams. Of a long career. 14 years, right? 14 years, 22 starts. I bet you his body's feeling all right. Yeah. Not a bad way to go. <laughs> yeah. Now, the funny thing, the difference between you and him, and this is what I love about the difference between certain journeymen, is that you were more aggressive. You averaged like more yards per attempt where Shane was very much the not aggressive journeyman quarterback who was just going to dink and dunk down the field. He averaged 5.7 yards per attempt for his career, which is like a handoff. It's all about getting completions. You know what I mean? Like we're not Shane. You know, I talked about it. Like I ain't holding on the ball for nobody. Like I'm getting it to the ball, (laughs) getting, getting the person, the ball, the first person. Uh, who has the one-on-one matchup, like, get open, I'll get you the ball. Like, I ain't trying to back your hold on to it. He did. He, I will say this. I saw him take some serious hits in some preseason games in the year I was with him. Uh, and he would get up, and he was just so slight. He was probably 190 pounds. I don't even know if he was 200 pounds. And so, uh, you know, he was uh, – he, but, he, yeah, he could take a hit. He was tough. He just didn't work out that much. You averaged 7.4 yards an attempt. You know that? I mean, that's pretty good. That's like Kirk, That's like Kirk Cousins this year. Well, there you go. For your whole See? career, 7.4 Sometimes yards. Sometimes I threw it to the other team. That, you did. Sometimes I threw it to the other team. That's, on a, that's, you know, well, that's part of the deal. Uh, I was hot and cold. If you didn't, we wouldn't have this podcast. You would have just, like, you know, been a starter. For the, for you got to be valuable enough. <laughs> you got to be valuable enough. And, and uh, but, but sometimes you're, you're you got to be valuable enough that you're actually a bit, but have your, your flaws that you're not really um, competing with the starting guys. Yes. Everyone, you know, then, then accept your place. That's the key to it. The longevity. Shane Matthews definitely knew his role in the football team. 
And, uh, you know, same, he wouldn't have this award maybe if he had uh, lifted a few weights. So anyway, uh, we'll send him a Facebook message, tell him congratulations. He is our journeyman quarterback of the week. And you know what I'm looking forward to, uh, Sage, is just having a new football game to talk about. It's been a while. So I am really looking forward to this Sunday. So thanks for your time as always. And we will talk to you again next week after Bears and Vikings break it all down. So thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.